What goes into making an iconic building in America? What are the stories and who are the people behind the next generation of architecture? If your work touches the real estate industry in any way, or you're just curious about what goes into one-of-a-kind cities and towns all across our country, join us on the American Building Podcast. In Season 2, we learn about everything from skyscrapers to single-family homes, from the famous and soon-to-be-famous designers and developers responsible for them. This season focuses particularly on the pandemic and how our buildings will change in response. Our sponsor is the iconic design firm Michael Graves Architecture and Design. And now, your host, award-winning architect-turned-entrepreneur, Atif Cotter, AIA. This is American Building, and I'm your host, Atif Cotter. We are recording from the historic home of world-renowned architect Michael Graves in Princeton, New Jersey. Check out this amazing space for yourself at the Michael Graves Architecture and Design YouTube channel. Now, let's build something. Today, our guest is Rob Menendez. Rob is a member of the Board of Commissioners of the Port Authority of New York and New Jersey. This is a role he was recently appointed to by New Jersey Governor Phil Murphy. So congratulations, Rob. He, along with the other commissioners, oversee the work of the Port Authority, which has a budget of over $7 billion this year. Rob is a lawyer by trade, and he is the first lawyer we have had on American Building. He is a counsel at Lowenstein Sandler, where he focuses on investment management clients, particularly early stage companies like my fintech startup, Redist. He also does pro bono work through the Lowenstein Center for Public Interest, particularly in voting rights. And he is a board member of the Hudson School in Hoboken. We'll be talking about the Port Authority Bus Terminal, a major intermodal transit hub in Manhattan's Times Square, which serves 65 million people every year. The Port Authority has an ambitious plan to build a new expanded terminal on the footprint of the existing one. At the core of that plan is how to make transit more environmentally friendly in the face of climate crisis. And that is something we will also be focusing on today. So thank you so much for being here with us, Rob. Thank you so much for having me and for the opportunity to discuss one of the Port Authority's incredible projects. And let me just say it's an honor to be the first lawyer you've had on American Building. I remember when you first mentioned having me on the podcast, my initial reaction being, are you sure? Uh, but <laughs> it really is an honor. And uh, I'm glad I can join you here today. And I hope everything goes well. So you'll consider having other attorneys on the podcast. <laughs> I hope so as well. So let's, let's get started. So Lowenstein Sandler is a preeminent law firm based in New York, and there you focus on investment management clients, like I mentioned. How did you then become interested in real estate and public policy? Sure. So my interest in real estate definitely predates my joining the firm, and I think it really started growing up in Union City, New Jersey, which is one of the most densely populated cities in the state, and I believe in the country. So thinking about how you maximize space in an urban setting was a fundamental element of my understanding and appreciation for real estate. And the same is true for all of Hudson County, where my family's roots are and where I live today with my family. Yeah, as you know, I went to high school in Hoboken at the Hudson School. 
and had the opportunity to experience on a daily basis, you know, the beauty of urban architecture being in such close proximity to the brownstones and incredible homes on Castle Point that have drawn people to Hoboken for some time now. And while I enjoyed you know, the beauty and serenity of a non-urban setting while an undergrad at Chapel Hill, which I know you just recently visited, I knew I wanted to come back home to New Jersey. Mm-hmm. And so I attended law school at Rutgers in Newark, where I had the opportunity to study real estate and redevelopment through a legal lens uh, while in the state's largest city. One professor described as a constellation of neighborhoods. And, you know, it's an expression that, that stayed with me because I think it's so beautifully captures the greatness of American cities and and what they've come to represent. And with respect to public policy, my law school studies definitely made me more aware of the various policies that shape and continue to shape the communities we are all a a part of. And from there, I've only continued to stay more interested in those policy decisions. And then the process of becoming a commissioner at the Port Authority. So how did that actually happen? What are the logistics of being a commissioner? Things like, do you get paid? Do you get driven around in a black SUV? How does it all work? Yeah, so so no black SUVs for me. You know, before becoming a commissioner and before the current global uh, pandemic with COVID, when everyone was still working in the office, I relied on the path to go to and from work. So when I was appointed to the board, I knew that was something I wanted to continue to do. So most of our meetings are at Four World Trade Center in Lower Manhattan. So uh, so either my wife and daughter dropped me off at the uh, Grove Street Path Station, and uh, I take the, the path in from there, or I, uh, I use the the light rail to get to Exchange Place and, and commute over. You know, something that was like important to me uh, when I had the opportunity to become a commissioner. Especially because the Port Authority is responsible for both the light rail and the PATH subway, right? For the PATH, yeah, light rail is NJ Transit. Mm-hmm. I mean, it is sort of a humbling experience to you know take one of the port's facilities to a, to a board meeting. You come up from the platform at World Trade Center uh, up into the Oculus. Mm-hmm. And you know, so before every meeting that we have there to really sort of have that experience and, and take in what, what that particular facility means for not just the Port Authority, but the entire region is, is something that, you know, really helps center me, I think, and fully appreciate the, the importance of this role. Uh, we are uncompensated appointees. Mm-hmm. I had the privilege of being appointed by Governor Murphy. Mm-hmm. We appear before the Jersey State Senate Judiciary Committee and uh, thankfully was unanimously confirmed by the New Jersey Senate. I was fortunate to go through the process with two incredible individuals, Dana Marinati and Michelle Richardson, who I now uh, serve on the board with. Both the governor's office and Chairman O'Toole's office were fantastic during the whole process. I I mean, it it truly is an honor. You know, as I mentioned earlier, I grew up in Hudson County and I lived in an area that relied heavily on a variety of the Port Authority's facilities, you know, the Lincoln and Highland Tunnels, the bus terminal, which we'll discuss today, Mm -hmm. the PATH, Newark Airport. And then law school, I had the opportunity to spend some time at the Port Authority as an Eagleton Fellow. And from those experiences, I developed an immense appreciation for, for what an incredible organization the Port Authority is. 
I think aside from playing professional baseball for the Yankees, this is uh, a dream. <laughs> <laughs> which I'm still is that your out, next career? That still, I'm still holding out some some hope that my my body won't give in on me before I get the call. But you know, it's it's a developed you know just sort of some match appreciation, and it really is a dream come true to to be involved with the organization in, in the capacity that I am. And I'm going to say this multiple times today, but the Port Authority is made great by its dedicated staff. They're just sort of, the commissioners are all fantastic, but the dedicated staff, the professional staff are truly in a class of their own. So it's an incredible organization. I'm extremely honored that the governor gave me the opportunity to to play a small role in it. And it's something I'm deeply appreciative of. So I think it, it really, it's important to point out the scope and the breadth and the depth of what the Port Authority does. I think if you live in New York or New Jersey and perhaps even Connecticut, it's a name that pretty much everyone in this metropolitan area knows. For our listeners who may not necessarily appreciate what it is that the Port Authority does, could you explain what it actually does? Sure. So so 100 years ago, the Port Authority was created to as a bi-state agency of New York and New Jersey to oversee operations in the Port District. And so for the last 100 years, the, the Port Authority has grown, now oversees a wide range of facilities from the region's major airports, uh, Newark Liberty, JFK, LaGuardia, the largest bridge in the, in the set of facilities, GW, the Lincoln and Holland Tunnels, uh, the path, the port itself. So in New Jersey, New York, different sharp shipping container sites, as well as World Trade Center. In addition to the bus terminal, which we'll discuss today. So it's when you think about the region and how the region moves and the facilities people rely on to travel in and out of the region, to commute in and out of the region, it plays a part in almost every single aspect of it. Cool. And then the past year has been particularly challenging for the Port Authority. There's been an unprecedented drop in ridership uh, because of COVID. And then the huge budget shortfalls from $3 billion in lost revenue, including aging infrastructure. And all of these are huge challenges. So what do you see your agency's focus being in the, the next six years, which I believe is the term of your commission, right? Yeah. So each term is is for six years, but you know, you come in at sort of, we're appointed at a particular duration point in that term. So mm-hmm. it's not exactly a six-year term, but um, and let me just sort of, before we dive into the particular support authorities operations, uh, you know, as you mentioned earlier, I'm a lawyer by trade. So I feel obligated to offer a disclaimer that the views I represent today are, are <laughs> my own and not necessarily those of the poor authority or my fellow commissioners. We'll make so sure to include that in the show notes as well. So Yeah, no, I appreciate it. I just can't help it. Just had to get it out there. So listen, the agency's core mission is to keep the region moving. Mm-hmm. Obviously, COVID had immense impact on the poor authority's operations. But as the agency always has, its dedicated staff delivered through a crisis once again to remain operational and deliver essential services during unprecedented times. As for the next six years, the Port Authority is in the midst of an ambitious 10-year capital campaign and has continued to move forward with projects that will completely reshape the fabric of the region's mass transit system. Including the the bus terminal. That would be it, there's money allocated to it from the capital campaign, but you know, sort of still in the planning um, mm-hmm. phase. But I mean, we're talking about new facilities at the region's three major airports: mm-hmm. LaGuardia, Newark Liberty, and JFK. I mean, 
the LaGuardia facility is, is phenomenal. Have you had a chance to go there yet? Yeah. And I look forward to when people continue to feel more and more comfortable mm-hmm. traveling and taking flights, both on a domestic and international basis, because, you know, with respect to LaGuardia, it is it's truly incredible. They're not going to recognize it. It's a completely new facility. And it's something that I know the folks at the Port Authority are extremely proud of and excited for JFK and Newark Liberty to also represent a state-of-the-art facilities. And listen, it's something that the region has needed. You know, mm-hmm. I, as I mentioned earlier, I grew up in this area. So, you know, I think it's it's been some time that the Port Authority, and they realized this when they started out on the capital campaign, was that, you know, the, a lot of these facilities have outlived their useful life from when they were built. And it's time to rebuild them with an eye towards the future. And that's what authority does every opportunity mm-hmm. it has to either rehabilitate an existing facility or to develop a new one. So, you know, in short, it's an incredible time to be a part of what is happening at the agency and what it means for the region and you know, all the individuals who rely on the Port Authority's facilities. That is where I want to transition into this bus terminal, this, this large facility right in Times Square. So, It's the largest bus terminal in the Western Hemisphere and the busiest in the world. So that means busier than the massive Mufasal terminal in Chennai, bigger than the Woodlands Interchange in Singapore and Millennium Park in Delhi. And these are three huge, huge, huge cities. And I just want that to settle in because that is just utterly incredible that the Port Authority is busier than all of them. So tell us some more about the numbers related to this project so our podcast listeners can get an accurate picture of what it's going to be. Yeah, so it will be a state-of-the-art facility. It will be exceptional. The plan for the new bus terminal provides for a nearly 40% increase in capacity, uh, calls for a new bus storage and staging facility that responds to community concerns, which we'll touch on, incorporates sustainable design elements, as almost every single Port Authority project now does, um, and would enable 100% electric bus operations. 100%? 100%. You know, it's part of what the forward thinking idea is for a lot of Port Authority facilities and for the fleet of vehicles that are either within the Port Authority's fleet or use Port Authority facilities. It calls for a complete replacement of the existing terminal building, which is ambitious, but I look forward to discussing. And you know, a new ramp. So sort of as it all all three components of the ramp that you take. As you exit the Lincoln Tunnel, that mm-hmm. sort of goes over and through New York City streets to the storage facility where buses are coming in, operating, and then the main terminal. So approximately three and a half additional acres of new green space in the local community, which was you know one of the many things that, that in listening to what were local concerns and wants was a part of it. When you think about that, that section of Manhattan, as most of Manhattan now is extremely dense with limited green space, public green space. So creating those spaces for the public as they go to and from the bus terminal. Pure numbers, it will be five floors of bus gates, uh, more than 160 gates, approximately 2 million square feet, be fully ADA compliant. And as I mentioned earlier, 100% designed to accommodate electric buses. So 
I'm just going to come out and say it. I've used the terminal for over 15 years, mostly for the subway and the NJ Transit buses, and just once for the express bus to New York Airport. And let's just be honest, it's a dump. So <laughs> what do you think of this terminal separate from your role as a commissioner and being responsible in terms of its public face as just like a regular dude that just uses the terminal? What are your personal impressions of it? Yeah, I mean, I, you know, anyone that's had to interact with the bus terminal in its current iteration knows that it's outdated. And, you know, and I'm very familiar with it. You know, I, I've taken it as a commuter. I mm-hmm. took commuter vans in and out of New York when I was living in the city, working in New York. I use it to get to Hoboken for our board meetings at the mm-hmm. Hudson School, visit family in different parts of the state. You know, from that vantage point, you know, I'm very happy that there's a plan to create a new facility for commuters and travelers who rely on it. And, you know, I think there's definitely a realization that it's outlived its useful life in its current iteration. Mm-hmm. And that's why there's a plan to replace it, because there's there's a realization both as folks who just use it and have to interact with it and those that have to plan for the long-term usefulness of it, that it's, that it's time to, to replace it. So the upkeep of the complex is a huge task and there's a lot of deferred maintenance, which kind of relates to what you just described and the way I might maybe more colorfully describe my impressions of in many previous iterations of renovations. And a lot of that is a big part of why the Port Authority feels that now is the time to to do this. Could you tell us more about why this particular time is the one to do it and why you think this approach is the right approach for addressing the next generation of transportation needs for the metropolitan area. Sure. The existing terminal was built in 1950. The history of it is sort of the, the, you get into the Robert Moses day of New York City. It's fascinating. Um, It was expanded in 1981 to the facility that, that we all know today. You know, it has 186 gates, 20 bus carriers, it is has been used at capacity for several years now. And I think it's entirely fair to say that today's terminal has outlived its useful life and simply not designed for today's volumes or modern buses. And, you know, thankfully, I think very thankful that public mass public transportation will continue to be a large part of this region's future, you know, sort of to reduce the number of individual vehicles on the roads, having people use clean, green buses is going to be an important part of how people commute in the region. And so when you couple that there will be an increased demand for the bus terminal moving forward with the current state of the existing bus terminal, there's there's just no better time to, to address the situation head on. And sure, for a while, there was Band-Aids and temporary fixes that were applied to it, and those are no longer adequate for what we forecast the future use of a bus terminal being. And uh, you talked a lot about the numbers associated with it. Could you talk about the design, the architecture? And I know that there's there's most likely going to be a large drawn out process for that. But what do you imagine the like, what's the emotion? What is the the look, the feel that you you imagine this place is going to be like in its next iteration? You know, I think it's I think it's completely different. And I think it, you know, and I sort of think about that often. Right. Because as, as discussed earlier, sort of 
growing up with these facilities Mm -hmm. and the experiences that we have versus the experience that folks have now when they leave the World Trade Center platform to go up to the Oculus and having that reaction to this magnificent, beautiful facility that incorporates design elements, aesthetics, and a functionality, right, is something that I think folks across the board have always wanted for their facilities that accommodate mass transit. But that is a constantly shifting and evolving thing. Mm-hmm. And I think you, as you see the new Port Authority facilities, you see that the Port Authority understands that, is responding to that, and not just the aesthetics and sort of enjoyment and interaction that people should have with these facilities, but also the expectation that they will meet, and we'll touch on this later, but they will meet the changing demands based on the hundred in the next hundred year storm, you know, like we saw with Superstorm Sandy, you know, and also be accountable, right, as a public agency to in adhering to the latest and best trends in sustainability. So how I imagine it is people having a very positive experience and not just being a source of pure function, but incorporating design elements that will mm-hmm. really improve the experience that people have with, with our facilities. So open, bright, signage, easy to get around, accessible. Those are all kind of, I would imagine, words that would be in, in your mind. Absolutely. And I think it's an important thing when you go back and look at the process that went into deciding on the the build-in-place design. Mm -hmm. It was with a lot of community input. I think there was over originally 30 designs. And there were two two essential elements in that each design had to measure up against, right? One was meet forecasted ridership demand. Mm-hmm. So the forecast, I think for 2040, passenger demands for a 30% increase in capacity. Uh, we're looking at a 40% increase in capacity based on the current design. And it may not sort of jump out as obvious, but mm-hmm. you know the no condemnation of private property. And when you think about what the current... Uh, footprint of the bus terminal is there's not an abundance of available space to create the scale of a bus terminal that will meet that forecasted increase in ridership and you know for all is false and there are many with respect to the current bus terminal it's extremely accessible you know there are i think 12 subway lines that Mm -hmm. connect right to it about five i think you know, MTA city bus lines that connect to it. So yeah, it's not the perfect facility, but the location itself um, is extremely ideal. And when you compare that to, I think, some of the other proposals that were put forth, moving a little bit west, a little farther west in Manhattan, great options, understand sort of the, the thinking behind them, but you would likely have a less convenient trip for most daily commuters or for even people visiting the region. And so when you couple those things together, the build in place design was met all of the requirements and will enable people to continue to have the ease of transfer to other uh, mass transit options. So that said, building in place is a mind boggling task because the idea is that people would still be able to come to work to travel through this terminal during the course of likely a 10-year development cycle of this project, maybe plus or minus a couple of years. But how do you keep a facility like that operating during the course of likely the largest construction project uh, in the United States for that entire duration? 
Yeah, so I mean, first, uh, I told you I was going to do this multiple times. I mean, the, the professional staff of the Port Authority is exceptional. <laughs> you know, I'm a lawyer by trade, so I'm impressed by basically everything uh, that I see happen, you know, at the, at the Port Authority and the way they think about mm-hmm. these designs and implementation of them. So first is that, you know, the Port Authority, when you look at its current footprints across, you know, what they're doing at LaGuardia, and now LaGuardia mm-hmm. has been fully operational while they've developed a completely new terminal. The same will be true for Newark Airport, JFK. You just don't have the luxury of shutting down operations mm-hmm. to complete planning, and you don't have this mass amount of space just to sort of, te- you know, set a temporary operation that would allow you to sort of use a different facility for a, tem- a temporary basis while you build out this, this new facility. So, you know, the way the Port Authority has thought about it is, you know, there's three parts to the existing structure, right? The ramps that come out Mm -hmm. of the Lincoln Tunnel up into the bus terminal. Are those coming down too? They're going to be rehabilitated and reconfigured. Um, And that'll be part one. Phase one is working on those. And then part two is this storage and staging facility. And, you know, sort of one of the things I, I don't think is fully appreciated is the current design of the Port Authority in terms of the uh, user experience is an ideal. We'll discuss that, but also sort of the amount of space, right? For when you think about there's two peaks in the daily commute, right? It's well, where do you keep all of the you know buses that come in during the morning rush hour when they're not going to be fully utilized until the evening rush hour, mm-hmm. right? So currently you have because there's a lack of space, right? They go back through the tunnel, empty buses going through the tunnels. It's not a great environmental outcome. So the thinking in terms of a green, sustainable future, right, is having a storage site that can accommodate those mm-hmm. buses. So there's the ability to not run empty buses back through the tunnel. And that's part two, right? So you're sort of moving out of the tunnel into Manhattan. And when that is complete, it will become also a staging site and the terminal operations will be moved there on a temporary basis to accommodate the building out the new terminal on the existing terminal site. So, you know, it moves in three parts. Listen, there's going to be some inconvenience, right, to riders, but at the end of the day, they will still have that direct access to the other modes of transportation Mm -hmm. that they likely need to get to work. They will sort of be able to rely and have the Port Authority's bus terminal function as it has. And at the end of the day, you know, sort of as you asked me earlier, as like as a someone that uses it as a commuter, I would very much understand and appreciate the fact that they were trying to build a great facility. And if there is some short-term changes that have to be made and it will be worth it for the long term and have you know that great opportunity twice a day, you know, you start your day, you end your day in that poor authority facility and, and having a much more positive experience, I think is is the most important thing that we can do for the the, in, the users that currently use it and what we expect the 40% increase of folks who use it. So giving them something that's state-of-the-art, fantastic facility is is a must for us. And what's the, the time frame that New Yorkers and, and people from New Jersey should expect that this project will be happening? Like what are the years that they should have in their head? Yeah, so I mean, it's it's you know it's still that's still in development, right? I mean, this is started in 2013, right? Thinking about the various plans and part of sort of being diligent about the process requires input from different constituencies, and then also you know sort of aligning it with other port authority projects to just you know to ensure that each gets the appropriate attention that they need. This is on the immediate horizon. What I've learned in my short time as a commissioner is that 
the runway for these projects is extremely long. I mean, you're not, I mean, you think about sort of, right, the development that you do on a one family home in Hudson County and all sort of the steps you have to go through to make that a reality. And then you think about completely redeveloping a, a three block bus terminal on its existing footprint. Mm-hmm. It's it's an incredible undertaking, but the Port Authority has shown time and time again it, it is extremely well equipped to take on these types of projects and deliver great, great final outcomes for the folks in the region. So would you imagine that final, fully operational people using it would be 2030, 2035, 2040? I wouldn't want to set a, a time frame for it, mm-hmm. but Again, just because of sort of the, the balance of the entire portfolio of projects that the Port Authority currently has in queue or already online, but you know, people fully appreciate that this is a this is a priority for both New Jersey and New York. So I'm going to take a break here to mention that later this season we will have on structural engineer Yasmin Remanji, who is a partner and the head of the New York City office of the preeminent design engineering firm, Bureau Happold. Uh, She'll be talking about another monumental urban redevelopment. This is the JL Hudson Tower in Detroit. Subscribe at AmericanBuildingPodcast.com so you don't miss any episodes like this one. The terminal in Times Square is actually just one of the three bus terminals that the Port Authority operates in the greater New York City area. The others are the George Washington Bridge Station in Upper Manhattan and the Journal Square Center in Jersey City. How do the three buildings relate to each other and what is in store for them? Because you mentioned that the need of balancing the capital expenditure requirements for the the main bus terminal in Times Square with other capital projects. Yeah. So, I mean, first, I think, you know, because people are so familiar with the Midtown Terminal, they perhaps forget that there's two other existing bus terminals in the region. I think when you think about where they're located, you know, one outside the George Washington Bridge and the other in Jersey, New Jersey, you sort of triangulate, you know, the different access points for, for folks in the region. So not everyone is is coming into the Midtown uh, location. I think sort of the important feature about all of them in their current iteration is that they connect to, you know, other means of public transportation, which is, you know, sort of the interconnectedness that folks really require and need as part of the system, as Port Authority works with its, you know, local counterparties to ensure a seamless transportation system that really accommodates different commutes, different needs for transportation. And that's how they sort of work all together. You know, there's going to be a continue, I mean, for the other two facilities, they will have, do you have updates as needed? You know, there's going to also sort of be forward thinking about every Port Authority facility, about elements of sustainability and what the, and enabling a greener fleet of buses. So those are sort of always in play for any Port Authority facility, but um, especially these, these two other bus terminals. So there are two big questions that I want to dig into. First, terminals like the Midtown Terminal are huge sources of carbon emissions. And that's the idling diesel buses, those moving back and forth, uh, waiting. And is it possible to imagine a green bus transit terminal? And what does that look like? You had mentioned the switch to 100% electric 
vehicles. Could you explain why that matters? And then are there other aspects that are making this project an environmentally sustainable one? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I think first, right, there's an increasing expectation of the general public that public agencies would be moving in this direction. Mm -hmm. And the Port Authority has made a part of its mission. As you mentioned, as I mentioned earlier, the new Midtown bus terminal will be built to accommodate an entire electrical fleet of buses. The Port Authority has already introduced a good percentage of electrical vehicles to its fleet. In 2020, uh, the agency completed six months ahead of schedule. Sometimes, you know, these large projects seem to always get delayed, but as often as the case, the Port Authority delivered on one of its priorities ahead of schedule. Uh, the acquisition of 36 regular route shuttle buses at JFK, Newark Airport, uh, and LaGuardia. So you're seeing that already at the three major airports. And this represents the largest uh, airport electric bus fleet on the East Coast and will eliminate 1,600 tons of greenhouse gas emissions uh, per year, cut local pollution by about 1,200 pounds of nitrous oxide and 900 pounds of particular matter annually. The Port Authority's vehicle electrification agenda also includes the goal of electrifying 50% of the agency's light-duty vehicles by 2033. And this will result in electrification of between 600 and 700 vehicles. Mm-hmm. The agency has acquired 158 light-duty vehicles as of the end of last year, 2020, uh, with a clear path toward hitting that 50% target ahead of schedule. And just taking sort of one step back in terms of sort of thinking about this holistically, the Port Authority committed in 2018 to embrace the tenets of the Paris Climate Agreement, mm-hmm. uh, becoming the first public agency in the U.S. to do so. The Port Authority has adopted aggressive interim greenhouse gas reduction target of 35%, by 2025, um, and a long-term target of 80% by 2050. So, you know, this is this is now at the core of the Port Authority's mission. It's in the fabric of, of every project that it undertakes, and that's the future, and that's the expectation, and the Port Authority will meet that requirement. So that means that the Port Authority chose to follow the or to commit to the structure of the Paris Climate Accord, even though the United States for some period of time was not a member of that accord. So the, the agency actually took the step to do it separate from its government infrastructure. Well, like I said, it committed to it in 2018. And I mean, that's sort of one of the things that makes the Port Authority an incredible organization. That's incredible. Yeah. There is the 1921. There's an incredible book called Empire on the Hudson that goes into extreme detail the origins of the Port Authority, mm-hmm. but there there was a goal of removing external political forces from the Port Authority's mission. So I think you ask most people, Paris Climate Agreement makes a lot of sense. It sets mm-hmm. parties to it on a, on a greener future, and Port Authorities remain committed to uh, meeting certain tenets of that agreement. And I think you see that in the various projects it's, it's undertaken. So given what you said, the importance of having good public policy separated from the tumult of politics. All the commissioners for the Port Authority are appointed by politicians. So in this case, it would be the governor of New Jersey or the governor of New York. In the decisions that you make as a commissioner, what are the ways that you're able to stay above 
the waves and the, the winds of politics to actually make good decisions for the next and the next generation of folks in this metropolitan area. Yeah. So it's something that we all take seriously. You know, when we take an oath as Port Authority commissioners, it's to the Port Authority. You know, our mission is a, is a regional mission. Um, there are New York, New Jersey commissioners, but we're all working towards the same goal. And I think, you know, when you have folks like we have there now in the, the top leadership and the executive director, Rick Hine, chairman of the board, Kevin O'Toole, they are hyper-disciplined and they are driving the Port Authority's mission forward for the benefit of the region. And that's what we owe the professional staff who have committed their careers to advance in the Port Authority's mission. And it is something that we are all aligned with. And it's, you know, there will always be external forces, but that is the mission of Port Authority. That is the, the obligation that we have as commissioners. And that's something that we look to fulfill on a daily basis. So the, the other question that I wanted to ask besides the energy efficiency was the idea of Manhattan itself is a very low-lying place. And the building that you described was one that is meant to address ridership for the next 20 to 50 years. The reality being that during that time, there will likely be large parts of New York City that could be permanently underwater, depending on the trajectory of the way that climate change goes. How does the Port Authority visualize that risk for such a massively expensive project like this one? or think about mitigating and preventing some of that uh, potential challenge for a project like this, which is meant to function for several generations up? Yeah, well, I think it's first, it's, it's thinking agency-wide, right? We're thinking mm-hmm. about that Port Authority has been in existence for 100 years. It will be in existence for a minimum of 100 more. So the Port Authority has taken strong resiliency actions to protect its facilities, all facilities, not just ones that are will be new, but you know how we think about existing structures, new structures with an eye towards uh, climate changes that are already occurring. You know these projects reinforce the agency's commitment to build and retrofit infrastructure that is resilient in the face of projected sea level rise and storm surges uh, driven by climate change. When we as commissioners get to visit all the different facilities, every conversation there is talk about what happened during Superstorm Sandy. Mm-hmm. You know, so that is something that the Port Authority has lived through in very recent history. Mm-hmm. They don't treat it as an outlier that this was a rare occurrence and we don't have to think about what the next, you know, 100-year storm looks like. Or I was going to mention even beyond the major storms, just this weekend, tropical storm, depression, Henri, uh, there's flooding and evacuations in Newark, New Jersey, and Helmeta, New Jersey, and parts of New York City. So it isn't a 100-year thing. It's probably much more frequent this is happening, too. Yeah, a thousand percent. And if you looked at, um, you know, the different, at least the New York press conference, you see Rick Cotton, the executive director of the Port Authority there, mm-hmm. because we're part of, you know, the region's response to any sort of um, situation like we saw the past couple of days where you had a, a, a tropical storm. It was ultimately what it ended up being when it came through the region. And we are, we respond to it, right? Because that is just sort of what is at a minimum required. And we are also thinking about it on a forward-looking basis. Every project, every facility incorporates the agency's internal engineering design standards, which are set to ensure resilience and protect against you know, these changing conditions. There are some elements that, you know, sort of that are, are dated, right? And I think you see that in 
tunnels that the Port Authority operates, but they are in the process of rehabilitating them post-Sandy, not just to fix, but to uh, implement standards that will withstand whatever else the future has in store for this region. So we mentioned the electric buses, and I want to ask you, do you or does the Board of Commissioners see opportunities for innovation in energy efficiency and climate resiliency for this project? So some of the things that I understand could potentially be considered are smaller buses, permeable concrete, demand-based scheduling. What are some of the other things that are in the works besides electric buses? Sure. So this past year, the Port Authority announced the implementation of the agency's clean construction program, Mm -hmm. which, you know, biased, but one of the most ambitious programs of its kind uh, in the U.S. The program will reduce carbon emissions throughout the design and construction processes, ensuring that a minimum of 75% concrete, asphalt, and steel construction waste is recycled or reused. Um, The program builds on the Port Authority's guidelines for sustainable design for buildings and infrastructure, incorporating globally recognized LED um, and vision equivalent sustainability standards. So three main points require the use of clean construction equipment for all projects. So that means like non-diesel equipment. That's my understanding. Reduce embodied carbon, the carbon emissions generated from the manufacturing and transportation mm-hmm. of construction materials and on-site construction activity. And three, promote the circular economy and the reuse of materials to increase their effective lifespans, uh, reduce air pollution from construction across all facilities through six specific initiatives. That's a huge undertaking. You mentioned a number of times the uh, the different divisions and the groups uh, in the Port Authority, and there are divisions that focus on real estate transactions and also one that focuses on the architecture and engineering of projects like the, the new bus terminal. I understand neither of them are currently hiring, but if someone that is interested in development or design, would the Port Authority be a good place for them to work? I think absolutely. I'm just, you know, you think about the scale of the projects we've discussed today. Mm-hmm. Um, I know the bus terminal was was the, the central project, but, you know, when you think about sort of all facilities within the Port Authority's purview, um, it, you really have the opportunity to, to think in large scale, think about sustainability, think about long term, how these buildings and facilities will operate. And, you know, I'm glad I, I get one more opportunity to say it, but I mean, uh, <laughs> I'll you know, every, the next time you say it. <laughs> every, every time I get to interact with the staff of the Port Authority, it's an exceptional group of people. There's no other way to say it. You know, I was there, as I mentioned earlier, as an Eagleton Fellow mm-hmm. during law school when I was in the Port Commerce Department, what, what was then called the Port Commerce Department, but truly, you know, the Port's. And just remember sort of like everyone's experience and dedication to the Port Authority. I think something the Port Authority does that's exceptional is people from different divisions work across into you know, enter new divisions. They take the experiences that they may have had, you know, as part of the team at the GW Bridge and mm-hmm. take it with them to uh, in a role with the Holland Tunnel or a role with the airport. And they it's such an interdisciplinary approach to how folks develop and become and stay a part of the Port Authority. I think it, it actually creates an exceptional group of people who have who have seen the different facilities, see the different things that work really well, and use those experiences to forge a pathway forward. 
So yes, I would, I would highly encourage it. Perfect. And uh, thank you so much for joining us today on the American Building Podcast. If you want to hear the behind the scenes stories of how iconic buildings in our country were designed and built, subscribe to this podcast on Spotify, iTunes, Google, or wherever you like to listen. We all know real estate is a tough industry to make it. So how can professionals stand out and make a name for themselves in today's world? Hear from me, the team at Michael Graves, and many of our spectacular guests like Rob on what we did to make it where we are. Grab our exclusive guide, Seven Tips on How to Stand Out in Your Field at AmericanBuildingPodcast.com. My name is Atif Kader, and this has been American Building by Michael Graves.